The Restoration and Empowerment for Social Transition Center is a Peel Region nonprofit organization serving Black youth who are either experiencing or are at risk of experiencing homelessness, supporting them to change their story, discover new possibilities, and shelter dignity. This podcast, Homelessness and Hiding, Our Youth Between the Cracks, is an uncensored discussion of content that may not be appropriate for all listeners. Personal discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Homelessness and Hiding, Our Youth Between the Cracks, a podcast discussing youth homelessness in our communities while elevating the voices of those with lived experience and the people on the front lines fighting against it. In this episode, we discuss the state of Canada's homelessness policies and promises ahead of the 2022 Ontario provincial election to break down where our priority should be when researching candidates. I'm Maya Moniz, your host for this episode, and today I sit with Michelle Bielik, the national field organizer for the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness. The Canadian Alliance heads a national movement of individuals, organizations, and communities working together to end homelessness in Canada. Michelle advocates in her daily life for social responsibility, poverty reduction, homelessness, equity and inclusion, violence against women, and food insecurity. With a deep political background and lived experience with homelessness, Michelle joins me as an extremely knowledgeable source of Canadian politics, homelessness, and housing policy. Hello, Michelle. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. How are you doing? Great. Thanks, Maya. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Excited for this topic in particular because I know it's really important. I know I'm going to personally learn a lot as a young 20-something going into, I think this is my first provincial election that I'm voting in, so I'm very excited to hear um, where this conversation goes. But to get us started, can you please introduce yourself and your career background in Canadian homelessness and politics? Sure. Well, my name is Michelle Billick, and I'm currently working with the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness as their national organizer. Um, And I'm also co-chair of the Peel Alliance to End Homelessness and founder of that organization. Uh, So I do work, I would say, paying Canadian work on homelessness as well as locally. Um, With respects to politics, I've got uh, a long history of being involved and engaged in politics. For me, it's almost like my passion and I enjoy politics like I probably would or anyone else would enjoy I don't know like watching like a soap opera or something like that um it's just as enjoyable to me um I first got involved actually in politics in high school um part of our history course was actually to uh volunteer on a campaign back then so that was in the 1980s and uh you know as a high school student I did my due diligence and uh, you researched the parties and found my ideals and beliefs that aligned with a specific party. So I volunteered for that candidate. Um, unfortunately, that candidate didn't win, but it gave me the opportunity to see, oh, wow, this is exactly what uh, a campaign is actually, actually like. And it made me uh, follow politics um, more closely. And um, I realized early on, probably, that everything is political, quite frankly, and that it's policies, good and bad policies, which actually dramatically affect our livelihood all the time. So uh, I continued on doing some local politics uh, here in Mississauga, uh, getting involved in local campaigns, local riding associations, and then actually worked uh, briefly with the federal and the provincial party during campaigns. And uh, I even have ran five times as a candidate myself here in Mississauga. So I have a long history of politics. Um, how it intersects with homelessness, I think, is is sort of where we're going to be moving uh, our conversation. Uh, but uh, as a person with lived experience of homelessness, um, I've always had a passion and belief that, you know, once you've been through difficult times or, or you know, quite frankly, I think your lived experience sort of frames and, and centers your advocacy work in general. And because I have been homeless and uh, experienced uh, various different forms of poverty uh, throughout my life, Um, It was almost like my way to give back was to advocate and to amplify issues around housing and homelessness and housing precarity on the campaign trail 
right? And also uh, make sure that, you know, I'm pretty well-versed and understand the systems that are around me so I can in some way um, support educating people in the public, educating our elected officials on housing and homelessness. Well, first off, I'm sorry that you have experienced homelessness in the past. It's certainly, I mean, it's exactly why we're here. It's something we want to end. We want to, you know, it's a problem we want to fix. So I'm sorry to hear that, that you have lived experience with that. That was something I didn't previously know. Yeah, I think it's funny. You know, I always find that, you know, people who usually work in social services or even this sector in particular, I, I don't know what it is, but I I find that people who have made it out to the other side, right, who have been able to stabilize their life, who have been able to overcome that struggle, right? Um, it's It's almost like they give back. So you'd be actually quite surprised how many people who focus their daily work on supporting people who are experiencing homelessness have actually been there before. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's quite common. And you, even academics, you know, researchers, you know, people at the, who are doing like some pretty incredible leadership in this work across Canada have actually experienced homelessness. So, you know, I think I'm in good company. <laughs> I think that's a good point to raise too. It's a talking point that I think I've come across many, many times in my chats with other guests on the podcast is that, you know, it's the point of meeting people where they're at, but then also getting those with lived experience of involved in informing policy change because, you know, they're the ones in the thick of it. They're the ones who know what's going on, what they need, what would have helped them and therefore what they want to see help others. So that said, I would say you're quite qualified to chat with me today, um, both guessing your career background, but then also in your lived experience. So once again, I would like to offer my thanks for your time. Amazing. Thanks, Maya. It's, it's a pleasure for me to be here. I'm super excited. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit more about your organization, the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness? Sure. It's, it's really actually good that you asked that question, um, because I've been sort of involved with the organization along my journey as an individual and then and also like learning and understanding the system here in the region appeal. So because I had difficulty navigating that system, knowing where the supports are, wondering what the hierarchy in unhousing and homelessness looks like in the region appeal, I did some research and uh, started following the work that the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness did. And back then, so we're talking about almost 10 years ago, I would say, it was a small mighty team of the CFO and the CEO, or he's the president, Tim Richter, and his associate, which is Trish Montaigne. And they received, they started their organization probably like 2014, I would I would say about that, like f- full on as, as being an, an, a not-for-profit in 2014. And they received federal funds from the government to create a national movement that focuses on ending homelessness and bringing together sectoral partners, advocates, um, researchers. So people all together in, in under one roof, one time a year uh, to share best practices and research and findings and for us to really people to come together who work in the sector to learn more about what each other is doing in different cities across Canada. And so they started just with this national conference and that's really all they did. And I was intrigued. I really wanted to go. I wanted to find out. I wanted to find out, okay, so what's going on globally? What's going on across Canada? Uh, Learn more about, you know, the work that's happening on the ground, best practices such as housing first and harm reduction approaches and being a low barrier shelter and what that exactly means and bring those learnings back to my community because I found that, you know, really there was no system that was integrated and working together here in the region of Peel. So I got in touch with Tim Rector. um, So again, the president and CEO of the organization, I said, you know, hey, like, I'd really like to attend the conference, but I don't have the funds. He goes, that's okay. You know, I, I, I see that you're really like in trade and you want to learn more and bring what you learn back to your community. So we're going to create a scholarship. 
And so I was one of the scholarship recipients way back then um, and was able to go to their conferences, three of them actually, year after year after year. And so I went to like Vancouver, I went to Montreal, and then the third one was in Ottawa. And I just went there like a sponge and started like learning and saying, hey, like if they're doing this in this city, why can't we do that here? And so I brought a, a lot of this back with me and then started navigating the region of people. Okay, so who who's, you know, running the show here, right? And who should I be talking to to bring some of this information and best practices to our community, right? And so that being said, I found the the system to be very, very disjointed. I didn't really know who to talk to. But what ended up happening was the federal government uh, at the time was under, it was federally under Harper and the federal uh, conservative party actually stepped up to the plate and actually started um, siphoning funds to municipalities federally for the first time in a very long time. So I would say the federal government didn't support programs around affordable housing and homelessness for probably about 25 years. Um, it was left up to the provinces and the municipalities to do most of the heavy lifting um, when it came to funding uh, housing and homelessness in communities. So uh, that funding from the federal government under Harper was called the Homelessness Partnering Strategy. And it was a partnership between municipalities and the federal government um, with a focus on ending homelessness. And what came with that funding was also the creation of local uh, bodies called uh, regional CABs. So the CABs are, are community advisory boards. So I got involved with the CAB here in the region of Peel. So it's local service providers, um, local advocates and activists on the ground um, who are allocating or at least recommending to the region how to allocate these federal funds. So what programs and services we're gonna fund, what capital projects are we going to fund? Now it's not a lot of money, Maya. It's it's you know anywhere from five to ten million dollars, but it's it's something, right? But what it got me to do was to question, question the region and say, okay, so like what's going on? You know, what are we doing with this funding? Who is running who is running this? Who is running that? Who oversees the shelters? You know, how how do people um get onto the affordable housing waiting list? Like all these various different questions. So I was able to do to get more like intimately involved with what was happening at the region without being too disruptive. Um, at the same time, the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness started a project, uh, which was a mirrored project uh, of what they're doing in the United States. It was called the Hundred Thousand Homes Campaign in the United States, and it was started by an organization called Community Solutions. And, and the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness said, hey, like, you know what, maybe we can do something similar here in Canada. So they called it the 20,000 Homes Campaign here in Canada. So mm -hmm. uh, the Canadian Alliance worked with municipalities across Canada to pilot this 20,000 Homes Campaign. Um, and really what it was is a way to get municipalities to start collecting real-time information on people who were experiencing homelessness. And why they wanted to do that was because you can't help people that you don't know. You can't help people if, if, if you don't know who these people are. You don't know how many people are experiencing homelessness. You know nothing about them. So the 20,000 Homes campaign was a way to get communities to find out who's experiencing homelessness in their community and create a database on each individual and be able to partner each individual to programs and services and housing when they become available. So when I found out about this pilot project and I learned more about what other communities are doing, so Hamilton was a pilot, pro pilot community, London was a pilot community. And so I thought, you know what, maybe we could do the 20,000 Homes campaign here in the region appeal. Do we have any data? on people experiencing homelessness? Do we really have any idea of how many people in the region of Peel are experiencing homelessness? And everyone was like, no, not really. 
We haven't done any enumeration. All we have is like shelter data. So they know who comes into the shelter. But my, as you know, not everybody goes to a shelter, right? When they're experiencing homelessness, there's a lot of hidden homelessness, you know, mm-hmm. more likely than not, you know, youth, women, um, gender diverse people quite often use family, friends, couch surfing, you know, hotels, stay in hotels, uh, you know, so not everybody goes to shelters. So it's very inaccurate. So what we decided to do was I worked with partners at the Region Appeal through the Poverty Reduction Strategy Committee. I, I made a presentation about the 20,000 Homes campaign to them. And the partners at the Poverty Reduction Strategy com- Committee decided to endorse this project and actually take it on. And it was the United Way of Peel back then who said, you know what, we're going to we're going to fund this and we're going to get this done. We're going to create this directory, this database of real time data of people experiencing homelessness so we can move forward and start housing or at least providing wraparound services for those people. Right. And so a community of different partners uh, convened. Um, with the support of the United Way and the Peel Poverty Reduction Strategy Committee. And we did we did the 20,000 Homes Campaign Registry Week. We planned a week, and it was back in 2016, I think, where we pounded the pavement of Region Appeal. We went to shelters, and we went to the soup kitchens, like Knight's Table and Regeneration. And we worked with the police, and we worked with ho- hospitals. We worked with correctional services to do like a survey basically, right? Get to know who these people were and their needs and and what health condition they were in and various other questions we asked them. Compiled all that information and created a database, which has now become, today we call it um, the by name list. So the by name list uh, is what still is occurring today. It's what the, the region appeal collects. It's the real-time person-specific data on people experiencing homelessness. It it tracks inflow and outflow. It tells the region of Peel and partners what's working, what's not working. Um, It prioritizes people uh, based on need and not on a first-come, first-served basis. Um, And uh, the whole goal is to keep people from becoming chronic homeless um, so, uh, you know, again, the community rallies around the by name list and works together on housing those people as a priority. Um, so that was sort of like how I actually got more involved with the Canadian Alliance. I would say fast forward to two and a half years later, and I started working for the organization. And um, I do incredible work with community partners straight across the country. Uh, the focus of my work as a national organizer is to, you know, really work with our allied networks, as we call them, that focus on various different uh, demographic specific issues, whether that be women's homelessness, lived experience of homelessness, health and homelessness, um, and help them with policy and government relations strategies and, and ways to like really arm the sector on how to be advocates on the ground. Um, and advocate further issues within community, but also um, pan-Canadian wide. Thank you for the origin story as well, because there are some little things that I've heard through my experience in, you know, becoming an advocate for the issue of homelessness and Peel. But then there are a lot of little things in there that I actually hadn't known. I guess I didn't realize how, because you said that the Canadian Alliance more or less was kind of started in 2014 is that what i'm understanding yep about then about then so my 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 boss i would say well i I, it became a not-for-profit then but my boss was he used to work for the calgary homelessness foundation and uh, he decided to create the canadian alliance to end homelessness while he was still working there and then he poached one of the staff to come and start this organization but it took him a couple of years to sort of like transition into the creation of a not-for-profit back then um but the conference the conference actually started um about 2014 i think 
and that and that was like sort of like their first sort of project right and uh, so he was transitioning between working for the Calgary Homelessness Foundation and creating the alliance as it became yeah a force but yeah that's really interesting that was actually the piece that I was forgetting the conference I did not realize that those conferences were happening yeah it's every year it's the first week in November Maya we have scholarships still available and it's going to be in Toronto. It's going to be in Toronto, November second uh, through fourth, and uh, it's going to be virtual as well as in person here in Toronto. It's great because you know we can just like I can I can actually sleep at home and not in a hotel. But um, mm-hmm. it's it's a huge opportunity for lived experts in the community, youth, um, and other activists and and advocates and people who who work in the sector to come together. It's a great way for us to learn as well as network um, and get to hear from, you know, incredible panelists from across Canada who will be coming and and really teaching. And like I said, it's a great way to network and support each other. And, and, you know, if you go to the CAEH website, you can see that you can apply for a scholarship. So even if you can't afford to go, um, we can fly you in, we can, you know, bus you in, we can Uber you in, you can stay in a hotel, you get to eat great meals and you get to learn just like I did. It's just like I did. Right. So that's where it all started. And I'm grateful for that experience. Very grateful. So uh, definitely get the word out. CAEH conference 2022. If, if you're a lived expert or lived, lived experience advocate, or you work in the sector, go onto our website, register, um, apply for the scholarship if you can't afford to go uh, otherwise, and uh, hope to see you there in, in November. <laughs> Links for all of this will be in the description of the episode, so make sure to check that out as well. I would like to get into a little bit of the nitty gritties of today, if that's all right. Absolutely, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so um, homelessness ahead of the Ontario election. I would like to hear, you know, from your background, but also from your personal opinion, what you think Ontario should prioritize. However, before we start that, there's a very important puzzle piece we need to place on the mat. And that is ahead of the upcoming provincial election for any of our listeners who may be voting in Ontario for the first time or voting for the first time ever. Can you explain exactly what we are voting for on June 2nd, 2022? For sure. For sure. We were talking about like, uh, what, what, what does the province oversee? Right. So because we have three levels of government, each level of government is responsible for different priorities and different functions, right? I would have to say um, out of all three levels of government, the provincial uh, jurisdiction or what the province oversees is probably something that affects almost everybody on a daily basis. We're talking the big issues, right? We're talking uh, the big issues and the big funded things that we that affect us every day. So we're talking about education and we're talking about healthcare. And quite honestly, those are usually the two issues um, that uh, affects affect most people. In addition, they also um, oversee a lot on the housing and homelessness file as well. So more likely than not, if there's anything to do with education, it would be a provincial jurisdiction or a provincial government that would create the policy around that and funding um, and healthcare too, right? So uh, transportation is another large one too. So the province oversees most of the funding allocated to communities and the building of various different forms of transportation. So public transportation and roadways and subways, and they're a partner at the table, actually the major partner at the table. Um, On housing and homelessness, for sure, a majority of the funding for the violence against women sector, VAW shelters, comes from the provincial government. It's usually uh, the Ministry of the Attorney General. Uh, A large amount of rent supplements and affordable housing is provincially funded. I would have to say almost every person in our community and that you know should always vote provincially. And look very closely at the platform. So we're looking at everything from housing, homelessness, again, education and healthcare. You know, our public health health dollars are provincial as well. So that's pretty much what it's all about. It's everything. <laughs> the provincial election is everything. I also think 
second to none, which in the fall we have another election and that's going to be the municipal and regional government that we're going to be electing. So this year, um, if you're going to vote, vote this year, vote provincially in, in the next you know month or so. And then this fall, vote uh, locally for your, your municipal councillor because, yeah, all housing and homelessness and public health dollars and service delivery is going to be decided by our local councillors here. Thank you. I'll be honest, I personally did not know that we had the um, municipal election in the fall. So now that that's on my radar, we might have another episode coming up. Yeah, it's going to, it's basically back to back. And uh, like I said, the, the thing is, is that the provincial government will give the municipality the dollars, let's say, to do public health or to, to or or for affordable housing or for rent supplements. But it is our regional council members who actually make the decisions, right? Mm-hmm. So on the provincial level, we're worried about high level policy for sure. So how many, how much of the dollars are going to siphon down to our community? But our what our community decides to do with those dollars, I think, are just as important, right? So. Um, yeah, it's it's an important year for um, poli- politics, really. <laughs> Absolutely, it is. Thank you for breaking all that down. I feel like my next move is a little interesting, given that we've just discussed the provincial election. However, I think it's important that in order to understand where Ontario as a province has a stake in ending homelessness, I feel the need to pull back because... This year, on April 7, 2022, Canada's Minister of Finance, Chrystia Freeland, announced that this year's federal budget will highlight housing affordability as one of its top three priorities. Budget 2022, as it's been coined, included approximately $14 billion in housing spending. And I'm going to put a bit of an asterisk in here to go back to how you were saying, Michelle, earlier about how 5 to $10 million, you know, isn't necessarily a lot. And of course, for a second, my head's like, wait, that's a lot of money. But then when you break it down to what it takes to impact a country of, I think we're almost at 40 million people now. Mm-hmm. It costs a lot of money to solve big problems. So 14 billion, the country has dedicated to housing spending. Mm-hmm. And that will account for over a third of all new spending. So Michelle, my first question regarding the budget and how it relates is, how will budget 2022 take action to achieve the goal of ending homelessness? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a great question. Thank you. Uh, $14 billion is a lot. Um, And actually, if you look at the budget, the first 100 or so pages is actually dedicated to the issue of housing, right? But what does that all mean, (laughs) those 100 pages, right? What's the Mm -hmm. government's overall housing policy and goals? Um, Reading through the budget, I would say it's pretty unclear. Our federal government has made some clear uh, commitments, one of which is the end of chronic homelessness by 2025. And they also have made various other commitments to make housing a bit more affordable, right? But the programs that they have in place, I don't think will be sufficient in order to end chronic homelessness by 2025. Before we get back to learning about homelessness ahead of the provincial election with Michelle, I wanted to take a moment to touch base with you, the listener. If you're interested in joining the conversation, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube so we can hear your thoughts on today's episode and you can let us know what you want to see in the future. I also wanted to let you know about some of Rest Center services for BIPOC youth in Peel. Rest provides a wide variety of services that center around shelter, living, healing, and growing. Our biggest flagship program is the Bridge of Hope, a socially innovative approach to preventing youth homelessness. In collaboration with our bridge builders, the landlords we work with to house and build the capacity for youth to live independently, the Bridge of Hope program provides youth with a sense of belonging that can only be found in a stable home. We are always looking for new bridge builders, so if you have extra space for rent and are interested in housing a youth in need, or if you want to otherwise volunteer with Rest Centers, send an email to info at restcenters.org. That's I-N-F-O at R-E-S-T-C-E-N-T-R-E-S dot org to learn how you can get involved. 
In addition to volunteer membership, Rest Centers is able to support Youth in Peel through the generous donations of the community. When you donate to Rest Centers, you help us provide rental subsidies to secure affordable housing for youth, provide grocery cards to reduce food insecurity, and provide life skill training to increase the youth's capacity to live independently. Your donation additionally supports youth access to counseling, tenant education, financial literacy training, home economics training, and mentor and employment opportunities. If you want to support Rest Centers with a financial donation, please see the link in the bio for more details. Lastly, I'm grateful and excited to announce that the Peel Alliance to End Homelessness, a collaborative of agencies across the region of Peel working together to end homelessness, has become an official sponsor of Homelessness and Hiding, Our Youth Between the Cracks. Thank you to the Peel Alliance for your continued support of the REST podcast. If you want to stay in the loop about what REST is doing to help our community shelter dignity and support youth experiencing homelessness, you can get to know us on LinkedIn or subscribe to the REST Center's newsletter for updates. And most importantly, if you are a youth in Peel experiencing or are at risk of experiencing homelessness, we are here to help. Give us a call at 905-863-1118 to get in touch. Now, back to the episode. Oh, please say more about this. Yeah, yeah. I'd say the budget really, it, what it does do is double the rate of housing construction over the next decade, but they're not, I, I don't think that the national housing strategy, right, which, which plainly maps out some of the commitments and goals of the Canadian government. And in the national housing strategy, they've also makes it legislated for the federal government to progressively realize the human right to adequate housing. And looking at what they're funding is not, I don't think it's adequate enough. I really don't. You know, they want to cut, cut chronic homelessness by 50%. They want to remove 30, 530,000 families from housing need. They want to renovate and modernize 300,000 homes. They want to build up to 160,000 new homes. But a lot of what we, what we see is happening is that the programs that are funding a lot of this these new builds or um, modernizing and renovating homes, a lot of the money is actually going to developers to build moderately to middle income to upper income housing. It's interesting because the federal government gives the money to the Canadian Housing and Mortgage Corporation, CMHC. It's like an arm's length, non-governmental entity to sort of oversee the funds and create the programs and allow communities and cities and programs and services to apply for the funds. So it's sort of like a grant process, Maya. So the funds are rolling out. The CMHC creates these various different programs. People, municipalities, programs and services and communities apply for the funds, right? In order to build new homes, uh, renovate their shelters, say, for example, and a certain amount of money will go. Remember, I, I mentioned the cabs and the community advisory boards and the homelessness funding. So some of the money goes directly to municipalities for that too. But the programs and services that are run through the, the CMHC or the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation are inept. A lot of the money is, is going to developers and the developers aren't creating affordable, deeply affordable housing for people in communities. When they talk about affordable housing, our governments say what's affordable is 80% market rental value. So you're looking at 80% of market rent is what they're considering affordable. Now, Maya, we live here in the region of Peel. A two-bedroom apartment here in the region appeals about $2,500. 80% of that would be $2,100, let's say. So they're saying that a $2,100 apartment here in the region appeals affordable? I don't think so. When you're on social mm -hmm. assistance, when you're on disability income, you're not even getting that amount a month to live. How can that be affordable, right? So there are some heavy caveats behind these commitments and the programs and services that are in place so far. So the Canadian Alliance is doing some advocacy and some work with the federal government um, on revamping some of these programs because it is actually people who are in deep core housing need, who, who are the priorities, people experiencing homelessness and those in deep core housing need. 
are the priorities under the National Housing Strategy Act and under the National Housing Strategy, yet the funding model and the funding programs are not in sync with those objectives and those goals, right? And uh, so, you know, looking at the budget, it's sort of like, okay, so we know that a lot of people are still going to be left behind, right? We know that under the programs that CMHC is doing, so we have like what we have, the Rapid Housing Initiative, we have the Cooperative Housing Development Program. So all together, all of those initiatives, right, and, 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 and funding programs that CMHC has been given money to allocate to communities and, and, and builders and uh, programs and services, from my reading and my assessment, will only build 16,300 new affordable housing units across Canada. How is that going to get 530,000 people across Canada out of poverty? How is that going to help people experiencing homelessness get a roof over their head? It's not. There's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. And I still think that a lot of folks are going to be left behind. Low-income renters are going to be left behind. Municipalities are still going to have to bear the brunt of ending homelessness and sheltering people. So, yeah, my assessment of, of, of the budget is, yeah, there's a lot more to be done. $14 billion is a lot of money, but I think it's really important that we put the $14 billion to those who actually need it, right? So that's people experiencing homelessness and those in deep core housing need. And unless the federal government makes pivots on how they allocate the funding through the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation, we're never going to reach our goals of ending chronic homelessness by 2025 let alone ending homelessness, period. You know, in, in our world, we're like, every, especially during elections. Now, now keep in mind, keep in mind, the people who vote are usually the middle class and upper class, right? Like your grandparents, probably, because you're still young. Like my generation votes, you know, but young folks, they don't vote too much. And I'd love to see that change, by the way. I'd love, and I think it's funny because uh, I heard Jagmeet Singh on, on, on the news uh uh, earlier this week, talk about how he wants to uh, reduce the age of voting down to 16 years old. And really what that would do is force some young folks to really, really get engaged and, and involved. Uh, but but that being said, I think that the, the political parties, they pander to, the, to that voting class, right? So they want to pick these folks, they want to get elected again, right? So they're, they're going to speak to them. And they're going to speak to their priorities. And homelessness, mm, not so much. I don't think it's much of their priority, right? People experiencing homelessness don't go out and vote very much, right? And, or even those in core housing need, right? I mean, people are struggling to put, put a meal on their table. They're, they're, they're having to haul a whole bunch of canned foods from the food bank because all they, they paid, you know, all of their social assistance on rent this month. So they don't, they're not, they don't have the time to think about politics, you know? All they're doing is trying to survive. So is that who our political parties are messaging and pandering to and creating policy for? No, not really. They're more worried about the middle class, right? So I've, I, yes, federally, during the federal government, we heard a lot, a federal um, campaign last fall, we heard a lot about housing affordability, but, you know, it was more about housing affordability for the middle class or for first-time home buyers, right? Um, very, very, very little conversations around what affordability actually means and who affordable housing is actually for, right? And the type of affordable housing that is being built, right? Like, I don't want to see more condos being built after they demolish affordable housing that, you know, apartment buildings that have been in place for a long time and renovate a whole bunch of seniors and people, you know, who are on low income. That, that to me is in progress and that's not really helping out our community who needs it, you know, we're in a dire situation right now. We've seen the rise of inflation, uh, astronomical rises of inflation. So, you know, butter has gone from $2.99 a pound to like $5.99 a pound. Everything else, you know, has become completely unaffordable. Costs of gas and, and, and you know, various different other products that we're using on a daily basis has gone up. How are people going to afford it? They can barely afford to pay their rent. They're definitely not going to be able to afford everyday 
goods, right? So things aren't aren't getting better, they're getting worse. And um, one thing that this pandemic has shown is that, you know, despite our little steps towards ending homelessness in our communities and addressing housing precarity, we've made very little headway of ensuring that the, the new housing that we are building is affordable for people who really need it. And we got to start prioritizing us as community, us as human beings, the people who need our support the most. Stop this, this, this movement and this continued movement around the financialization of housing, where housing is becoming an asset. It's not a human right anymore. You know, having a roof over your head is something that people earn now. It's a commodity. It's like gold. We're selling it on the market, just like any 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 other expensive um, entity that we that that we own, right? Housing isn't a TV. Housing isn't a Lamborghini. Housing isn't gold. Housing is a human right, and we've lost touch, and we've lost our ability to grasp that concept at all. I think, and 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 that's why you know we have to start prioritizing people who need it because you know, times are getting more difficult. We're going to see, Maya, more people experiencing homelessness, more people in core housing need before anything gets better. And until all of our politicians and our policies and the way we distribute income and distribute and allocate funds for these human right issues and these human human right obligations, until we see all of that lining up and prioritizing people who need things the most, we're never going to make a dent. And I, and I don't want to sound so, so negative because I think, you know, I love the work that I do and I've seen some incredible, amazing work going on in communities across Canada, how communities have rallied together, uh, you know, and worked together, public health, you know, providing mental health and addiction supports, housing providers, you know, housing people straight out of the hotels during a pandemic. But so much more needs to be done because we're not building fast enough, right? We're not building affordable housing fast enough. And inflation is going up and more people are falling behind. So, you know, we're always playing catch up. And so all I can say is that we have to continue on with the fight. We have to continue on bringing these issues to the forefront of our policymakers. And we have to start caring about those people who are most in need in our communities and commit ourselves to that social contract of helping each other out. Because when we stop caring, then, you know, where are we as a community and where are we as a human race, really? Sorry, I don't mean to be philosophical or, or negative, <laughs> but, but that's, yeah, I mean, that's really what it comes down to is, um, yeah, our governments have to work together and we have to prioritize people based on need. And that comes with all policy and all funding. I first want to start off by saying, I don't think it's a bad thing that you're getting philosophical. I don't think it's, I don't even think you're being negative. I think you're being realistic because these are very, like you've just raised a ton of very excellent points. Housing could be a human right, but it's, I really like what you said. It's become like gold. It's become a commodity. We sell it, we earn it. And that is just asinine to me. Like, that's a huge problem mm -hmm. because how many people are living in this country or in this, like in Ontario, in Peel, who don't have a place to live or a place to call home um, and then are thus, you know, not to be cliche, but they're lost between the cracks because, like you said, there are all these different political parties. They're not catering to them because they don't really care about social issues. It seems they're more concerned about getting reelected, lining their pockets, perhaps. Um, and I'm speaking generally here. I got it. I feel like for legal reasons, I can make that clear. I'm speaking very generally. Um, <laughs> but you know, just we have issues. Like we have major social issues regarding you. Know, like like housing is a huge social determinant of health. If you don't have good housing, then you don't have good health really they're, they're very strongly correlated like we've done a whole episode on this um but just really i don't think you're being overly philosophical i don't think you're being overly negative i think you're being realistic and i think you are doing a service by cracking this box open 
like digging through those cracks, pulling these issues out. Um, it kind of, yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think, I think it's, it, it fascinates me because I, you know, we did polling, like we did advocacy during the federal campaign. It was called vote housing. I think it was something like astronomical, like 60% of people who, who were polled know of someone who's experiencing homelessness or have themselves, you know, and, and, and that the issue of housing affordability and, and homelessness was a huge, was an issue of priority for them. So the public, I think, is on board. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think the public is on board to a certain degree. I think that the answers, and, and quite frankly, I think even our government is, is, is on board. And I think that has a lot to do with the, the alliance and the, and the work that we do here locally with the Peel Alliance, but also the Ontario Alliance provincially and then federally, the Canadian Alliance does. I just don't think that they know how to do it. You know, we've been doing things a certain way for so long. And politics is, my, it's a song and dance. You know what I mean? Issue, homelessness isn't a sexy issue, you know? But, <laughs> But but what what the pandemic did is actually expose, I think, a lot of inequity that's happening, right? And it's sometimes what ends up happening is that, you know, it's pre-budget time, they just finished an election. So that time between the end to an election and the budget, there's a whole bunch of lobbyists, people coming to... Miss Freeland's door, knocking on her door, and many other members of parliament saying, you must prioritize this, 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 this. And you know what? There's certain, there's certain lobbyists, certain, you know, I would say sectors of society who have lots of money in, who want to, who, who want to be prioritized, right? So sometimes they win out when it when it comes to policy development and priorities. But I do have to say, Maya. One thing that is really important and I think will change the landscape on how we as a federal government treat housing, and that's the implementation, like I said, of the National Housing Strategy Act. And within the National Housing Strategy Act, they make a commitment to the progressive realization of housing as a human right and the mechanisms that have been legislated to ensure that we actually do that are the creation of the national, sorry, the national housing council, as well as the national housing advocate. So that mechanism has just started up. It's so brand new. It's actually almost exciting that it's brand new. So the national housing council was formed last year at the end of last year, and they're doing a lot of various different research and questioning some of that CMHC funding and doing consultations with the public on how to improve the way things function and, and the funding, the funding, how it's allocated and the, and the programs through CMHC. So that's happening. But in addition, we just saw through the Canadian Human Rights Commission, the federal housing advocate has been hired and is in place. Her name is Marie Jose Houle. So the, the housing advocate will be, and, and the Canadian Human Rights Commission will be receiving claims of systemic housing inequity from any group, any person across Canada, anyone who wants to file a human rights claim based on housing inadequacy or, or, or racism in housing, right? Or any sort of form of oppression in housing can file a claim with the housing advocate. The housing advocate will pick claims based on their merit, usually claims that are systemic. So let's just say women's homelessness and the hidden nature of women's homelessness. Let's say the inadequacy around Indigenous housing and Indigenous affordable housing could be a systemic claim of a of a human rights violation around housing, right? So the, the advocate's going to hear the claim and then send the claim to the housing council, the housing council have to strike up a review panel. The review panel will say, yes, this is a human rights violation. And the minister in charge of housing federally has to address the issue, the systemic housing human rights issue within 60 days. So rectify the situation. So that mechanism in and of itself, we're hoping will, will embed this human rights framework 
within our federal government, right? Because now the federal government is going to be accountable to the housing advocate and the housing council to ensure that any housing policy, any housing funding is going to ensure the right to housing in Canada. So now because that 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 mechanism is just starting, it's in its infancy, maybe what we will do, see is an actual understanding, not just the language around human rights, right? Like, okay, yeah, yeah, we all have a right to housing, we have a right to life, we have a right to health, we have, a, you know, but where the government is accountable to ensure that every person in Canada has the right to affordable, accessible and appropriate housing. So that being said, even though I mentioned a whole bunch of negative stuff, in reality, that's happening. This is also a reality, but it's something that is new. And I am going to be watching very closely and working um, on the federal stage to to ensure that um, housing as a human right is not only language that's in, that's embedded, but it's a, a philosophy and understanding that's embedded through all levels of government. So municipally that we, that we see housing as a human right, that provincially we see housing as a human right, because until we actually do see that and, and understand that it's going to continue on being seen as a financial asset instead. That's really awesome news. Actually. I think that's, I'm really hopeful for this initiative. I hope it really does make a difference. Well, you see, you see movements actually happening. Like there, there is a huge, like it's global, right? Like a global, like the financialization of housing that we're talking about, right? Like we know that there's a global housing crisis, right? Like it's not just in Canada, right? And because of, because our, and this is, like I said, globally, right? So because our, our governments, like I said, have taken a very hands-off approach to ensuring that affordable housing is built and, and, keeping regulations in place to make sure that housing stock and housing prices don't go astronomical because they've taken such a hands-off approach over the last 30, 30 plus years. Right. Um, so we have supply side, there hasn't been affordable housing built in communities at the same token, all of the, all, all of the regulations have been basically deterior deteriorated away. We have global actors, act, asset management firms, um, you know, big corporate actors, you know, like for gosh sakes, Loblaws, for for example, is part of a REIT, which is like an asset management conglomerate. And they're seizing up properties hand over fist, right? And sitting on those properties that people don't live in, for one thing. And then the second thing, what they're doing is demo victing people. So they're, they're buying really cheap property and building expensive condos. And this is happening globally in major urban centers, right? And so the financialization of housing is the result of bad policy, yes. But we're also seeing that, you know, the movement towards embedding a human rights framework on all levels of government is taking is taking hold. It's taking hold in Europe. It's taking hold uh, in Australia. It's taking hold here slowly in Canada, right? And so what I would like to see is that, um, you know, this complete flip on our heads to what housing is. And I think that the first thing will be embedding a human rights framework within our policies and, pro and programs and services. And again, it's on all levels. So yeah, it's, it's very, very exciting because I think that we're seeing this, this resurgent of this human rights understanding through housing as being the result of ongoing and systemic lack of, you know, really addressing these issues around housing affordability and homelessness, because it is growing. It is growing. And unfortunately, it's usually the cities and the municipalities that have to do most of the heavy lifting to address the, the issues, and they don't have the money to do it, right? So uh, embracing a human rights framework seems a good way to go in order for us to get to, to bring back and bring focus and bring light to the fact that everybody deserves a roof over their head. Mm -hmm. They're going to be happy and healthy, really. Okay, so I think the question I want to ask next then, because I think what you said is very true. You know, a lot of the burden is placed upon like municipalities, like the region appeal to solve these problems, but they don't really have the support from 
provincial government to do that, or even from federal government really to do that. And it's because, like you've said, it's not really a priority of provincial government. In preparation for this interview, we were looking at just like some of the different political parties present in Ontario. So we have the Green Party, the Ontario Liberal Party, the New Democratic Party of Ontario, the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario, which is what is currently in power. That's Doug Ford. And then the New Blue Party. And when we were looking at all of this, we found that only one party, the Green Party, has made a clear promise like on a call to action against homelessness. No other party in their campaign has really even considered like homelessness to be a priority. So I think my question for you is, I think it's twofold. The first part is, how do we make homelessness a priority for our governments? How do we, I don't want to say strong arm them, but really make it clear that this is what we care about in unequivocal terms? (laughs) Um, Because as you've said too, it seems like everyone's on board, but no one really knows how to do it. How do we really get this ball rolling? And then the other part too is on a logistical level, how do we do that? Who do we talk to? Who am I writing a letter to? Who am I writing an email to? Who am I, whose door am I knocking on? Awesome. Very good questions. It's, it's, it's sad. It's actually sad that um, <laughs> the political parties, except for the Greens, aren't, though, at least on their platform, aren't visibly making homelessness a priority um, and addressing homelessness a priority. It's, it's actually really, really, really sad. But how do we make it a priority? And it's really interesting because Maya, you know, this is me putting my political policy hat on, right? There's politics is it's, it's, it's a song and dance. And I, and I hate to say, you know, cause there's these political actors and they pretty much, you know, decide, you know, what happens in our lives, right. Uh, on a daily basis and, and their decisions uh, dr- drastically affect our, our daily lives and stuff like that. But it is a song and dance. Politics is interesting because it it's about for sure power, <laughs> right? Because they all want to be elected, right? And so platforms are what they are. They're platforms, you know. They're they're appealing to the masses, right? So I don't put too much stake in a platform. Quite honestly, I think that. You know, once they're once they're elected, this is when and this is when you start doing a lot of, um, I guess, the lobbying and 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 the advocacy work. Actually, I think advocacy should be um, an ongoing thing. So, you know, we make homelessness a priority in Ontario by showing them, showing our our parties, our, our candidates. Two. Well, I'll, I'll do it twofold. First thing is showing the economic efficacy of ending homelessness. And what I mean by that is it's very expensive to keep people out on the streets. It's very expensive to keep people on social assistance. It's very expensive to have people in corrections, in hospitals, in run-ins with their police force, right? In shelters. It's actually 10 times more expensive for someone to stay in a shelter overnight than it would be for giving them a rent supplement on a market value unit apartment in Mississauga. So it's very expensive not to address these issues. And usually, you know, when you bring up statistics like that, right, like the Auditor General has multiple times, actually just in 2021, just last year, the Provincial Auditor General did a whole 200 page document on the cost of homelessness in Ontario. So the the stats are there. You can't deny the facts that it's expensive to keep people on the street and to keep people homeless. Second thing is that we can make homelessness a priority for for our governments by showing the real face of homelessness. So, you know, we have data, (laughs) right? We have statistics, right? Uh, We have research. But it's those stories that make the greatest impact. I think when a politician or or wannabe politician, a candidate, has been is faced with a human being who comes to them and tells them their story, their struggle, and what they're dealing with on a daily basis, and what their life is like. How can you not be touched by that? How can you not want to help that person? 
you know, it's, it's, it's a human instinct to actually have empathy and feel connected to that individual and want to help them. So, you know, my work is on arming communities, organizations, municipalities, sectors on how to be good advocates and how to bring to the forefront the voices of lived experience. And I would say by far, it doesn't matter what statistics, you know, what budgetary analysis I do on homelessness. If I bring a person to the table who has, who talks about their experiences and their story, more likely than not, it will be their story that actually perks up the politician's ears or the policymaker's ears, or if that's what will imprint be embedded on them for forever. And, and, and so that's how we make homelessness in Ontario priority for our government is to bring those stories to the forefront and lived experience to the forefront. And second, show the efficacy and the success of getting people housed and what that means on a fiscal scale. Yeah, so that's what I would say is this, those two things are what make, makes politicians do uh, an about face on policy. Yeah. And I'm sorry, you had another question. I don't, I don't remember what the other question was. <laughs> um, it kind of ties into, and I think this, this will be a good way to round out the conversation as well. I'll kind of rephrase my question. I'll turn it into the question I ask all of my guests. And that is, where do you want this discussion to go? What should I and our listeners tackle first? So essentially, to tie back to what I was asking before, who can we as citizens talk to? Where can we make our voices heard? Who am I writing letters to? Who am I writing emails to? Whose door am I knocking on? Perfect. I've got a good answer. So the Ontario Alliance to End Homelessness is working with two partners, the Ontario Not-for-Profit Housing Federation and the Co-op Housing Federation of Canada. And they have a new campaign called Vote for Housing, the number four. So Vote for Housing. If you really want to get involved, go and visit that website. Um, look at look at what we're standing for, or I should say the Ontario Alliance is standing for, and the advocacy that they're doing. You'll have an opportunity there to support the campaign by submitting your name and reasons why you think that deep core housing affordability and ending homelessness is a priority for you. What it will do is it'll email blast, you know, our all of our candidates in Ontario of all parties in, locally in your area, and it'll bring that personal message right into the right into the email box of that candidate. So that's one way to do it for sure. My gosh, you know. Like I said, Maya, we got a provincial, we got a municipal election coming up as well. Get engaged. What I would love to see, quite frankly, is, and, and I'd be willing to support this in any way possible with my political background and doing, and doing work locally. I'd love to see every ward this fall in the municipal election to have a candidate with lived experience of homelessness or housing precarity on the ballot. And if I can't make that happen, all I'm asking is for folks is to get out there and vote. Do your do your due diligence as a citizen. You know, we talked about housing as a human right. Well, you know, quite honestly, voting is a right too. And voting is an obligation. It's an obligation to citizens who don't have a voice. For those who are living beside you who can't vote yet. Though those who have been left behind, those who unfortunately have passed away because They've been living on the street. So those are the people that you're voting for, right? Um, so if you have the opportunity, do your research, support a party or a candidate or someone locally that you really believe in and, and you, you believe that they'll address the issues. Ask them questions. Go to all candidates' debates if they have them. You know, look up who the different candidates are in your writing and write them a letter. Tell them exactly what you'd like to see them to accomplish and tell them you're only going to vote for them and everyone you know is only going to vote for them if they, you know, address the issues that are important to you. You'd be surprised. You'd be really surprised 
how like a letter or a movement or showing up at a door or a phone call to your local candidate or your, or your member of parliament would be willing to listen and hear you and take action on an issue or at least confirm that they might be. So I always say just, you know, politics it, everything's political, Maya. Everything's political. What is what it comes down to, and so your vote matters. And yeah, just get out and vote. Have your voice heard, and that's a large, large way of making a contribution to uh, your fe- federal, your your fellow community members. So that's all I have to say. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle, for your time, for your call to action, and just for your passion on the issue. I'm hoping that listeners of this episode are just as fired up as I am, ready to do what they can, ask the questions they need to ask, and vote. Because it's important to vote for the people that the government doesn't really want to listen to. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Maya, we, we can talk anytime. Any, anytime you want, to, you want to talk about housing or homelessness issues, or even politics, quite frankly, you know, get in touch. And uh, I appreciate your time and... Uh, Thank you to everyone who's listening. Michelle has shown us that not only is homelessness a major issue in Canada and Ontario, but that we are going about solving the problem all wrong. Our political parties, as they stand, do not have our interests in mind in the fight to end homelessness, so we need to do more to make them notice. Elect those with lived experience or those who want to elevate the voices of lived experience. Do what you can to educate yourself on current policy and issues surrounding homelessness and flesh out your toolbox with current promises that have been made and use that knowledge to hold our governments accountable. We need you to be the voice in this election, to stand up and fight the housing crisis from the level where it really matters and to advocate for the folks who our governments won't listen to. And why? Because, as we've learned, everything is political. This wraps up this episode of Homelessness and Hiding, Our Youth Between the Cracks. If you want to follow up with the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness, all of their social media are in the description, and you can visit their website, caeh.ca, for more information. If you are interested in supporting a cause tackling youth homelessness, I invite you to visit our website, restcenters.org. That's R-E-S-T-C-E-N-T-R-E-S dot org to learn more about our mission and how you can support the cause. If you found solace here, learned something new, or think we have something of value to offer, you can subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode. Until next time, I'm Maya Moniz, signing off. This podcast has been brought to you by the Rest Centers. Through the special dedication of our coordinator, Maya Moniz, our assistant researcher, Chelsea McLaughlin, our director of youth engagement, Romaine Redman, and Rest's executive director and founder, Dag McCoy. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are exclusively those of the hosts and guests involved and have no affiliation with the Restoration and Empowerment for Social Transition Center.